to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbours were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Uh, when we, Sharon and I, were on honeymoon in Slovenia, we went on a day's coach trip to the Julian Alps. Okay, that's there's a bit of the Alps around the Slovenia-Austria border, I think. And the scenery on the way on this coach trip was incredible. It was beautiful, you know, and we zigzagged our way up this mountain pass and you're around the hairpin bends like James Bond in his Aston Martin or or maybe like the bus at the end of the Italian job. That's the kind of scene, you know, that sort of Alpine pass. And as we got towards the top, uh, the bends got tighter and the coach would have to do three point turns just to get around. And you felt really bad because there was every corner had little shrines to the Russian prisoners of war that had died building that road. And so it was really, the tour guy kept saying, just wait till you see the top, wait till you see, it was fantastic on the way up, but wait till you see the top. And the anticipation was building. And suddenly the coach pulled into this clearing 
And there it was, this magnificent sort of 360 vista of the Julian Alps. You know, I felt like Julie Andrews, felt like running out and singing. I didn't, but that's what I felt like. It was one of the most amazing sights we'd ever seen. But sat in front of us all the way up this mountain was an old deer who did nothing but moan all the way up. And as the coach came out to this view, she had to look out the window and said, well, there's not much here, is there? I don't think I'll bother getting out. Now, to this day, I don't know what it was she was expecting. I don't know what that lady would have found at the end of her journey, which would have made her feel like it was worth it. You know, perhaps she'd have settled for a tea shop or something. But in our small baby big deal series, we've been trying to let God get us ready for Christmas, for the arrival of Jesus. We've been listening carefully to his introduction to Jesus. Through the angel Gabriel and through his Holy Spirit, speaking through Elizabeth and Mary, and today through Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad. So we know, we found out so far that Jesus is God's uh, long-promised rescuer king. But rescue from what? What kind of salvation is Jesus bringing? Because we want to tune in to what God has got to say so that we understand what kind of rescue or salvation God says that Jesus brings. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves being like that old lady on the coach, uh, our expectations being of something much lesser, much more shrunk down, much more like a tea shop than the wonderful truth on offer. So, just to recap, I'll, I'll tell you if you've not been here, what, we know, what we've learned so far about this salvation from Luke 1. We've seen that God is pleased to use ordinary people like you and me and like Mary to do extraordinary things. That this rescue isn't going to be confined to the religious or intellectual elites. We've learned that this isn't plan B, uh, where God's work in the Old Testament didn't quite work out and so he's pressed control, alt, delete and the reset button. No, throughout Luke chapter 1, it's like there's been a klaxon going off every time there's an Old Testament reference in nearly every verse telling us that uh, what is happening is God making happen, making come true what the Old Testament told us to expect. We've seen that this salvation, it's not going to be about philosophy or a set of ideas, but it's going to be about news, history, real events involving real people in real history. Christianity, uniquely amongst faiths, exposes itself to historical scrutiny. And we've seen we can expect different responses to hearing God's rescue plan. Zechariah, as we join in today, he's not been able to speak for the, for the rest of Elizabeth's pregnancy because he didn't believe what the angel Gabriel told him. Whereas Mary said, may your will, word to me be fulfilled. So different responses. And then last week we saw Mary and Elizabeth had their sights raised, lifted, to see that God is all-powerful and he's using that power to show mercy to the humble who know their need to be saved by him and trust him to do that. And we saw that we can expect 
God's rescue plan to have that same flavor of great reversal of lifting up the humble and bringing down the proud. And that this is news of joy because it brings us peace with God. God's acting in mercy and power to make everything right. So there, you're up to speed. Already we begin to see what a big deal this baby is. And now God gives us even more insight as John the Baptist is born. John's birth gets us ready for what we'll see in the rest of Luke's gospel. Um, in that th what's happening creates good gossip. Now, you'll have noticed uh, there's no outline in your leaflet. That's because um, Sharon's coming back from England. I was a bit distracted at the start of the week. Behind when I wrote my sermon and the outline. Didn't get meet the printing deadline. So if you want to write one, if you're into that kind of thing, first three headings, good gossip, and you'll need about a probably a third of your page for that, and the rest divided between promises kept and tender mercy. Good gossip, promises kept, tender mercy. Don't feel obliged to use an outline, just if it helps your brain. So the narrative uh, opens up to include more people, not just those directly involved with John and Jesus' birth. And what we see is a variety of responses to what God is doing. So verse 58, Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives share her joy. And as was normal practice, they get involved in John's circumcision and naming ceremony. And, and they argue with the naming instructions that the angel gave to his parents. They're astonished that Zechariah agreeing to this baby being, being named John. John means God is gracious. God is gracious. And all of this that's going on is gossiped and wondered about far and wide. So from, from verse 65, all the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Uh, the Lord's hand was with him. You might remember that phrase from when we looked at Joseph in Genesis earlier in the year. That's, it kind of means God is making things go well in a particular way for a particular person. God is intervening through real people in a real place and it's having a real impact. See, God's rescue is not abstract ideas or secret knowledge that you can only get through meditation or spiritual discipline. God's rescue is news. Stuff that happens, stuff that is gossiped about. I mean, now I mean by gossip, I mean good gossip. I don't mean saying mean things about people behind their back. Because it's Christmas party season, isn't it? And uh, the x-ray department I worked at in the UK, our Christmas do's, our Christmas shows, I think we call them here, they were legendary around the hospital, you know. But you got a load of young men and young women in their early 20s, put them together with a late bar and dancing, and the day after the party was all about the gossip. Who'd made the mistake of talking to the boss after they got drunk? Who got together with who? Who was the surprise package on the dance floor? Now, I'm not advocating that kind of gossip, that where you share to make yourself seem important at the expense of somebody else's blushes. What I mean is the well-intentioned sharing of news that you think is good for people to know 
and wondering together what it all means. And God's rescue plan is in the public domain. It's news for us to share, to gossip about. You see, Luke has put this gospel biography of Jesus together really carefully. And he mentions all these witnesses so that someone reading it at the time of writing could have gone and found people who were in that Judean hill country when Don was born and asked them about it. If anyone assesses the Gospels uh, uh, in the same fair way we would assess any other ancient historical document, we've got no reason to doubt that it's what really happened. Unless you come at it with a prior commitment to assuming the supernatural is impossible, um, an assumption for which there's no evidence. So that's another great thing about Christmas, isn't it? We get to take time out and slow down and have a really good look at Jesus' birth and the events around it and gossip about it. Be filled with awe. Go around talking about these things, wondering out loud about them. And I reckon as we do that and as we pray, amongst our friends and colleagues and family, the Lord's hand will be with us. Now there's a question dangling in the air, isn't there? Verse 66. What then is this child going to be? So how is Zechariah's son going to live up to his name? God is gracious. How does he fit into God's rescue plan? Well, God's got more direct answers for us and for his dad, for Zechariah, inspiring Zechariah to prophesy. So first of all, he praises God for promises kept. That's your next heading, promises kept. Excuse me. <coughs> See, God doesn't want us to miss how huge what John is part of is. He doesn't want us to shrink our idea of what this salvation he is part of is. And so through Zechariah's prophecy, he broadens our horizons for that um, mountaintop perspective of his rescue plan. And as we look out, there's two big landmarks that we keep getting repeated in this prophecy, said various ways, promises and salvation. Promises and salvation. So first, God is keeping his promises. What's happening here is, like we said, is not a new idea. It's not plan B. So this is verse 70. This is what was said to his holy prophets of long ago. Verse 72. God is remembering his covenant, his contracted promises with his people. Um, he's remembering, verse 73, the oath he swore to Abraham, with Abraham. An oath that ultimately applies to all humanity. Uh, here it is. Ah, that's the wrong one. I'll just read out the right one to you. That's 1217, we need 2217. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth, including Australia, will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So in Old Testament language, when God remembers something, it's not just something, oh yeah, I remember that. 
It means God is performing an action because of what he recalls. So it's not um, what is God thinking about, it's why is God doing that? Because he remembers. So what are these promises uh, that God is acting on? Verse 68, redeeming his people. Verse 69, salvation, horn of salvation. Verse 71, salvation again. Verse 72, mercy. Verse 74, rescue and enabling. So promises and salvation. Um, redemption there, verse 68. That means God is uh, bringing his people out of slavery into freedom. Verse 69, horn of salvation. That's a phrase we see in Psalms a lot. So here's, here's an example. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I shall take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You get the gist. God is, God's salvation is described in terms of the most solid, sure, strongest things that an ancient Israelite could think of, would know, including the powerful, tough, pointy horns of a wild ox. So it's like in modern day, we might say something like God's salvation is like a, a diamond-tipped titanium drill or something like that. The hardest, strongest thing we know. So what is God uh, doing with Zechariah's son and Mary's son? He's keeping his promises to save humanity. To save humanity. But again, that question, save from what? So when Zechariah sings, verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, and verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. Well, what would those of listening to Zechariah have thought he was on about? Well, surely they'd have been thinking something like, at last, God is going to get rid of the Romans and their minions. Israel is going back to the glory years of freedom and self-rule. You could understand them interpreting it like that, couldn't you? But we need to be careful not to import our own ideas of what salvation is and who our enemies are. And we need to keep God's perspective. So from your point of view now, what, what's really wrong with the world? And how is it going to be saved? We hear lots of ideas, don't we? You know, if only we can get the right political system in place, everything will be okay. That's never really worked out, has it? If only we can expose the secret agenda of the liberal Marxist elites, we can put a stop to their evil plans. Or if we get ed the right education or the right economic policy in place, or if you're British, if we leave Europe, or if we stay in Europe, depending on what you think, everything will be okay. Well, what about us? What, what's, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? And what salvation do we need? Do we need to overcome the social disadvantages we've been dealt? And um, perhaps we need to move past the psychological impact of our upbringing? Maybe we need to get into the right relationship. Or maybe we need to get out of the wrong relationship. What's your salvation? If we shrink 
our vision of salvation down to just this world, to just the here and now, we'll end up pouring all our energies into trying to achieve that salvation. But the catch is, those lesser salvations never deliver. They're only ever a temporary fix. God has got a much bigger, all-inclusive plan of salvation in mind. See, God could have removed the Romans from Israel in a heartbeat, couldn't he? But the real problem would have remained behind. Because the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Our hearts, which plot and scheme against God to put ourselves first before him. Um, I like to think I blend in these days. You've probably not noticed, but I'm not from Australia. Um, and I'm an immigrant. And I think part of the reason I went along with the idea of moving here from England was to run away. Uh, run away from poor choices I was making. And actually, that really helped me. But still, whenever I talk to somebody else who's thinking about making the same move, I was given the same advice. You can't run away from yourself. You bring yourself with you. Look again with the verses 74 to 75. The remarkable reason God rescues us. What we're saved for. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our, day, all our days. <coughs> so a Roman-free, militarily strong Israel might have removed that fear factor of ser serving God. But something much more dangerous, much more insipid, needed dealing with first. The root of the problem that had got them into trouble in the first place needed dealing with first, their own hearts. And these verses confront us with the fact that we all face the same problem. We're all our own worst enemies. Left to our own devices, we don't do what we're made for, serving God in holiness and righteousness all our days. Left to our own devices, we serve ourselves in sin and guilt all our days. Those are the enemies that we need rescue from. That's the salvation we need. And that's what God is bringing us. John has been sent by God to get us to ready to receive God's tender mercy. It's your last heading, tender mercy. Through Zechariah, the Holy Spirit says that John's weapons will be words, not the sword, and that what he will say will get us ready by telling us about what God's rescue is really about. So verses 76 and 77. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. God saves us through the forgiveness of our sins. And why? Verse 78. Because of the tender mercy 
of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. The tender mercy of our God. I wonder, is that how you see God? As having tender mercy. Not the cold mercy of a judge just trying to keep the prison numbers down. Not the keep the crowds happy mercy of Pontius Pilate. But the tender, undeserved and costly mercy of our loving Heavenly Father. Our God who is so loving, so determined to show us his tender mercy, that in Jesus he became one of us to save us. John is here to announce that Jesus is that rising sun from heaven. So this is fulfilling a prophecy from Malachi 4 verse 2. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Not much frolicking going on here, but that's all right. You can do that later. Jesus will heal our relationship with God, winning us forgiveness by paying the price for our sins, taking the punishment we deserve. He pays our redemption fee. And just as the sun gives its light and heat to everything its rays shine on, so Jesus gives his righteousness to all who trust and believe in him. Repentance, turning away from our sin and God forgiving us through Jesus. That's the message that Luke will keep hammering home all through this gospel. So when John the Baptist grows up and begins his ministry, starts his work, um, the start of his work is described like this. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and then if we fast forward to the end of Luke and the resurrected Jesus is talking to some of his disciples who don't recognize him it says then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures he told them this is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance is a confronting message, isn't it? The idea that we have something we need to repent of, turn away from. The idea that we're wrong enough to need forgiveness. Do you know you need forgiving? We saw last week through Mary that if you don't think you need forgiving, it's just because you're too proud. That you think you know better than God how your life should be run. Or perhaps you're all too aware of your need for forgiveness. But you think that you're too far gone. You think that you've done more wrong than can ever be forgiven. Well, let me say... That's pride as well. It's, that's like saying you've thought of some special category of sin that God hadn't thought of and hasn't dealt with. That's hiding behind a shrug of the shoulders. 
But John the Baptist comes to prepare the way by calling for repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance. And what are the results of this salvation that Jesus brings us? Verse 79. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. That's what's on offer. To be brought out of the darkness and death of being alienated from God and brought into peace with him forever. We really are freed to be who we were made to be. Free to serve him without fear because Jesus redeems us from the punishment that we ultimately fear. We're free to serve in holiness and righteousness before him all our days because we're clothed and hidden in Jesus' righteousness, the sunlight of his righteousness shining on us. So I can never say I'm completely holy or righteous, but I can say that Jesus is. And it's his righteousness I'm trusting in. So, this Christmas, slow down, be filled with awe, and have a good gossip about these remarkable accounts of John, of Jesus, of their parents, and what it all means. So have good gossip, and keep your vision of salvation big. Don't shrink it down to the here and now, to you and yours, to the size of a tea shop. God is on about bringing us the salvation that we really need. Peace with him forever through forgiveness of our sins by his long-promised Savior, Jesus. So have a good gossip. Keep your vision of salvation big and keep your vision of God true. His tender mercy as we repent of our prideful ways, he can be trusted to shine his light on us and guide us into peace. I'm going to pray for us as we finish. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, who at your first coming sent your messenger, John, to prepare the way before you, please help Grant that we may likewise so prepare and make ready your way by turning hearts to Jesus, that at your second coming to judge the world, we may be found an acceptable people in your sight. For you are alive and reign with the Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.